Good morning. It's good to see you this morning as we continue looking through the book of Colossians. We are rooted in Christ. In just a few weeks, it's Easter. Felt a little more like Easter this week than it did last week in the middle of the snowstorm, didn't it? But I want to encourage you out in the foyer, there's some cards and you can take one of the, or one or a few of these cards and invite people to join us uh, during our Easter season. We do have a Good Friday service at 6.30 on April 7th and we'll be having a communion and worship as well as watching a movie, believe it or not, it came out in 2000, the Mel Gibson movie and uh, reminding us of the incredible sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So please take and, uh, and uh, take a few of these, invite, the, invite people to come out. Our services on Easter Sunday are 9 and 10.30, and we'll be having a light breakfast in between those two, encouraging people to, to celebrate together the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray and ask for God's blessing on his word this morning. Father, as we come before you, may we recognize that you are almighty God. And we have a responsibility as stewards to serve you. Lord, as we've been singing about this morning, help us to be available, recognizing if we're a follower of Jesus Christ, We're to be faithful in ministry to you. We thank you for your faithfulness in our lives. Lord, as we look at the principles of your word, may we not just gain knowledge this morning, but may we be challenged to apply the principles that you have for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as some of you know, this week began what they call March Madness. And it's interesting because a lot of times people that aren't involved in college basketball at all, don't follow it at all, oftentimes through the work or a family group, you become involved by filling out a bracket to win. Usually it's just recognition. Sometimes it's pots and pans, right, Andrew? (laughs) Or other things that you can uh, win the the pride of saying that you were involved and that you won. But usually, I think for each of us here, I don't think any of us in this room have been involved on the court in March Madness. Am I anybody here? I didn't think so. We, we sit on the sidelines and we watch. And maybe we have a team we're rooting for, maybe not. Maybe you've been watching all season, maybe just this last weekend, or maybe not at all. Maybe you uh, filled out your team bracket based on the color of the uniforms or the mascot names. But as we are part of God's family, if you've trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, we are not called to be His followers to sit in the stands and watch. We're called to be in the game. We're called to serve. 
I heard someone once say that if God did not have work for us to do as His followers, He could have just as easily taken us to heaven the moment we put our faith in Jesus Christ. We're not saved to sit in the stands, we're saved to serve. God has work for us to do. His followers are called to serve. Ephesians 2.10 tells us that we are God's workmanship. We're created in Christ Jesus for good works. Later in Ephesians, in chapter 4, Paul tells us that we are prepared for the work of ministry. In the last verses here in Colossians chapter 1, Paul shares his calling. His responsibility as a servant of Jesus Christ. A responsibility to serve that we all are to fulfill. Follow along as I read Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 24. It says this, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you, and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of His body, which is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God which was given to me for you to fulfill the Word of God. The mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to His saints. To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. To this end I also labor, striving according to His working, which works in me mightily. Paul was sharing his responsibility as a minister of Christ, as someone who is a servant of God. And we see through this, in our lives, there's some evidences that need to be seen in us as we are called to be servants of the Most High. In verse 24, Paul reminds us of the suffering and sacrifice of ministry. Verse 24 says, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of His body, which is the church. Now, Paul had a couple reasons to share his calling, how God had called him to, to serve. Part of the reason he shared this was to demonstrate the authority that God had given him as he taught and encouraged them in their faith. Now, if you remember back to our introduction to the book of Colossians, Paul had not met most of these people that he was writing to. He knew very few of them. He had never been there. He wasn't the one who started the church. That was a man named Epaphras. Paul was also writing this letter to these people from a prison cell. And the false teachers desired to cause the people there to question Paul's authority. Most importantly, to question his message. And so as Paul was sharing his calling, his, his purpose for serving Christ, he was reminding them that the message came from God. It would have been easy for those people to question Paul. I mean, he was in prison. Obviously, there may have been something that he had done that didn't match. And so, could they really trust what he was saying? 
Now, Paul could also demonstrate his suffering and sacrifice for the gospel. You see, many times in in his writings, in the letters that he wrote, he reminded the people of the, the suffering that he faced, not so that they would glorify him, but to help them recognize the importance of the message and help them recognize that suffering is is often part of serving God. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 verses 23 through 27 Paul reminds the people at Corinth of some of the things that he had faced. It says, "Are they ministers of Christ? Those others." He now goes to his own life. "I speak as a fool, I am more in labors more abundant and stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently and deaths often." From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Now that wasn't the 1960s. That was with rocks. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep, in journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil and sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst and fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Paul was saying, I have suffered greatly for the kingdom of God. He was beaten many times. They talk about the 40 stripes, save one. They they couldn't whip someone more than 40 times because that was considered inhumane. So they would do 39 in case they miscounted the number of times. He was stoned and left for dead outside of a city. He He was shipwrecked. The Jews attacked him. The Roman leadership attacked him. He faced many perils. But he was willing to suffer and to sacrifice for the gospel of Christ. And just like Paul, we are called to sacrifice, even to suffer for Christ. But the sacrifice and the suffering is worth it. Romans chapter 8, verses 17 and 18, Paul reminds us of the, that suffering is worth it. He says this, and if children, he's talking there in Romans 8 about how we're children of God, we're adopted into God's family there in these previous verses. And then in verse 17, if we're children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Paul was saying, yes, we may sacrifice for Christ, we may suffer for Christ, but it is worth it because of the hope that we have in Christ as heirs together, as joint heirs with Christ, as he says there in Romans 8.17. Paul could rejoice in his suffering, not because he enjoyed the suffering itself, but because of the purpose and result of the suffering that he faced. He recognized that when he sacrificed for Christ, that the things, that God could use those things for God's glory. And we see, as Paul writes, there's there's several reasons why he could rejoice in his sufferings. He could rejoice because his suffering was for Jesus. 
Acts chapter 5 and verse 41 and Acts 4 and 5, the, the disciples, Peter and John and others, as well as the, as the group of believers there in the early church were, great, were facing great persecution. Peter and John had been thrown into prison. And so as they're, as they're facing this, earlier in chapter 5, they prayed for boldness. It's interesting there, they, they prayed for boldness rather than that God would protect them, they prayed that God would use them. And here in Acts 5.41 it says this, So they, this group of believers, departed from the presence of the council, Peter and John being threatened for sharing the gospel. So they departed from the presence of the council that, that warned them and threatened them. And it says that they were rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for His name. They were saying, we are so excited that we can suffer for Jesus Christ. And we have that same opportunity to sacrifice and to suffer for Christ. But he could also rejoice in his suffering because his suffering was for the benefit of others. His suffering helped others in their relationship with God. In verse 24 it says, For you, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you. Again in verse 25, he says that it is for you that he is called to be a steward, to minister. His sacrifice was for their benefit. And his passion was not for his ease. His passion was for their growth. And his suffering helped them grow. But he could also rejoice in his suffering because he was confident that Christ was with him in his suffering. Paul had seen this promise of God's presence from the other side of suffering. Let me explain. In Acts chapter 9, we see Paul meets God on the Damascus Road. Now, in those previous chapters in Acts, Paul was one of the leaders. His name was Saul at the time, later changed to Paul. But he was one of the leaders of those who were persecuting the Christians. We see as Stephen was martyred for his faith, Paul was one of the ones that was in leadership of the attack upon Stephen. So now we come to Acts chapter 9 and Paul is, is heading toward Damascus. He's going there to, to be involved in more persecution, imprisonment, and other things that were done to these followers of Christ. And so in Acts chapter 9, as he's on his way to Damascus to persecute more Christians, he meets Jesus. And here's what it says in Acts chapter 9 in verse 5. And he, that's Paul, said, Who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. What was Jesus saying as he, was, as he was there meeting Paul on the Damascus road as a bright light that comes in the voice of Christ speaking to Paul. Jesus Christ had already been crucified, risen, and taken up to heaven. What does it mean that He was being persecuted? That Christ was being persecuted? Well, He was with those early Christians in their suffering. 
And now Paul is on the other side. He is the one who is suffering. But in the midst of that, he could rejoice because he knew that Christ was with him in that suffering. He did not need to face those tribulations alone. The reminder that Christ is with us in our suffering not only encourages us, but it also helps us clear up a misunderstanding that's found in verse 24. Once again, verse 24, I, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you. But listen to this next part. And fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church. What is Paul saying there? That he would fill up in his flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ. Was Christ's sacrifice not enough? No, that's not what it's saying at all. In fact, that term afflictions is different than it's used, the Greek term, than it's used in Christ as he died for our sins. But also the fact that Jesus Christ is suffering with us and we as part of his body are suffering with him. It doesn't mean that Christ's suffering was insufficient. Remember what Jesus Christ said on the cross. His sacrifice covered it all. He said, it is finished. The payment has been made. As we looked at last week, we are now reconciled with Christ, brought into right relationship through the suffering that Christ provided for us to fulfill the, the payment for our sin. But Paul was suffering because he was part of the body of Christ. And Christ as the head of the body the church suffers with us as we suffer for Him. Jesus told his followers and us said this we will have tribulation ministry involves sacrifice as paul said i do this for you but it also can mean suffering for him not only do we sacrifice and suffer as part of ministry but we have a responsibility of ministry in verses 25 through 27 Let's read that again, beginning in verse 25. Of which I became a minister, that's the gospel, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. The mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints, to them God willed to make known what are the riches of his glory, of the, of the mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of his glory. Paul uses an interesting term here, and that's the term stewardship. Being a steward of God. What is a steward? A steward is one given the responsibility of performing the tasks that are given by the Master. We are here for a reason. We're a steward of Christ. We have a responsibility to fulfill the desires of the Master. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2 says, Let a man 
so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Notice both servants and stewards used there in verse 1. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. We are a steward of the gospel. No matter our position, no matter if we're a pastor, if we're on paid staff or not, we are all ministers of Christ. We are all servants of Christ if we've trusted Him as His Savior. As if we've trusted Him as our Savior, God has prepared us for ministry. God has given us spiritual gifts. Supernatural abilities that, that God has given to everyone who has trusted Christ. Those abilities to serve Him. God not only gives us spiritual gifts, but He gives us passion. A heart for people. He gives us abilities. Those natural talents that God gives to each individual. God gives us personality. And God gives us experiences in our lives to help us serve Him. God has a job for each of us to do, and He has prepared us for that job. We have a responsibility of ministry. And when we don't fulfill our responsibility, the whole body hurts. We are called to serve. We are called as stewards of Christ. Now maybe a little confusing here because he, he talks both in verse 26 and verse 27 of this mystery. What is the mystery? He says in the, in the end of verse 27 that it is Christ in you the hope of glory. What, is, what does that mean? If, if, we're to, if we're to be ministers' servants, we better understand what we're called to do. A mystery is something that has been concealed. But Paul is saying that it is now revealed. The mystery was God providing salvation through Jesus Christ. Salvation was pointed to in the Old Testament. But it was revealed in Christ. And we have the responsibility of, of sharing that mystery, Christ in us, the hope of glory. Now that caused some division there in the people, not just in Colossae, but, but in the early church. The Jews was, were thinking oftentimes that, that the, the work of God was only for them. And so there was some struggles between the Jews and the Gentiles. And, and if you remember, as we were talking about the false teachers, we entered teaching, as we introduced Colossians, we talked about this Gnosticism, or actually pre-Gnosticism. They weren't officially titled yet, but this, this mystical teaching, this, this deeper knowledge. But also following the rules and regulations of the Jewish system. 
And so part of, the, part of the struggle was that they needed to follow the law, circumcision and other parts of the law, and we'll continue to see this Paul, Paul stri- fighting against this throughout the, this letter to the church at Colossae, that, that our relationship with God is a work done in Christ and Christ alone. He is the one who has paid the penalty. No works that we can do will be able to earn our salvation. Rather, it's through the grace of God through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And this mystery is God coming and providing salvation. But then as we serve Him, we also recognize the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So we have a responsibility of ministry. What are you doing to serve Christ? How are you using those spiritual gifts? How are you using your abilities, your passions, your experiences, your personality? How God made you and prepared you for ministry. How are you using that for Him? And we see in verse 28 the goal of ministry, why Paul was called to be a servant, why we are called to be a servant. We find that in verse 28. It says, Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. The goal, it says there in in verse 28, is to present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. What does he mean by that? The term perfect means mature or complete. It does not mean without sin. We all sin. We will all continue to sin until that day when we will be renewed in Christ for eternity. So as followers of Christ, we're called to share the gospel and to build up others. And Paul shares the two aspects of helping others mature in Christ. He says, admonishing and teaching. Admonishing, warning of the dangers. 1 Corinthians 4.14, Paul shares his responsibility to warn. He says, I do not write these things to shame you, but as my beloved children, I warn you. And then teaching, imparting truth to how we should live. Matthew 28.19 and 20 says this, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Paul was warning and teaching. He was admonishing and imparting truths, both aspects of teaching. Think about it as a parent. As a parent, as you have children, what do you do? You admonish them. You warn them of dangers. And you also teach them how to live. And both the negative and the positive are important in helping us grow and mature in Christ to be warned of the dangers and taught the truths. And so Paul, just as a parent, was warning and teaching them. But we have that same responsibility. And then we see in verse 29 the strength for ministry. Verse 29 says, To this end I also labor, striving according to His working which works in me mightily. Serving Christ is hard work. 
Oftentimes you say, so what is the minimum I can do? Paul reminds us that we should not seek the path of least resistance. What can we do as a minimum and get by? But how much can we do in service? And it's fascinating, the two words that he uses talking about the work is labor and striving there in verse 29. And both of them in the original Greek give the emphasis of hard labor. The term labor means to work to the point of exhaustion. And the term striving in the Greek emphasizes that we agonizing using maximum effort. The term striving was often used in athletic competitions as you strive for the finish line. You give everything you have to finish the race well. But it's important to recognize that this strength that is necessary is only in Christ. It says, according to His working which works in me mightily. Any ministry success we have is a product of God working in us. If we attempt this labor in our own strength, we will fail miserably. But as we allow God to work through us, we will impact the world for Jesus Christ. Philippians 4.13 Now that passage, the context is talking about contentment. How can I be content in spite of my circumstances? But we can take this principle in all areas of of our lives. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can serve Him through the power that He is working in and through me. But I must surrender to His will and I must allow Him to work through me. As followers of Christ, we're called to minister. We're called to serve. But we need to recognize that that service will require sacrifice and suffering. That service is our responsibility as a steward of God. That service has the goal of helping others mature. It's not about me. It's about serving others. And that service can only be done through the power of God. It's our greatest responsibility in our lives here on earth. Charles Haddon Spurgeon was writing about service and being a servant. And he said this, If God called you to be a servant, don't stoop to be a king. We are all called to be servants and it is our greatest calling the question that each of us must ask ourselves is how are we doing in that calling are we the servants that God has called us to be let's pray father as we come before you may we recognize that as almighty God You have called us to be your children. Lord, help us to recognize that you have also called us to be your servants. Lord, help us to be faithful and diligent in the ministry of serving. 
no matter our position in this world, help us to recognize as your followers, we are called to serve. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.